Welcome to the Becoming Infinite Podcast. I'm Cooper Gillespie, a manifestation, mindset, and abundance mentor, and modern mystic living in California's high desert. I believe every person has the power to create the life of their dreams by tapping into the infinite part of themselves. This show is here to inspire you to do just that. So each week we'll explore tools and practices, rituals and routines that you can use for your expansion. Welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Hey, 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 everyone. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm so happy to be here with you. It is a beautiful spring day here in Landers, California. The birds are chirping. The wind is really blowing for some reason. And I just love all the colors here this time of year. It's like these different blues and purples and browns and greens. It's so beautiful. I remember when I first moved here, my sister came to visit and she was like, I can't believe how brown it is. I didn't ever picture you living anywhere so brown (laughs) because we grew up in the Pacific Northwest where, of course, everything is very green. But uh, I don't know. There's something about all the different browns and and desert colors here that I just love. Very calming, calming color palette, I guess. I would like to invite you to come spend four days with me as we basically plan out your heart-centered coaching and healing business. If you've ever wanted a profitable heart-centered coaching and healing business, maybe you've been thinking about it. Maybe you're a new coach and you're not sure how to begin. Maybe you've been coaching for a while and just feel like it's not going how you'd like it to go. If any of those are you, I would love for you to come join me. The link is bit.ly forward slash heart centered coach challenge. It's going to take place the last day in May, May 31st through June 3rd. It's going to be a party. You know me. I love to do giveaways. So there'll be prizes. There's going to be awesome community and transformational training. I am one of those people who, when I do a free workshop, free challenge, free masterclass, I pack it full of value. It's definitely, I could charge for it, but I'm not going to because I want to give this back to you. So come join us. It's going to be a blast. I'll also put the link in the show notes. All right, to that end, I would like to share with you how I left my job in education and became a coach because a lot of you have been asking me that question. And so I want to, I want to give you the answer. So I think my story is a little different maybe than a lot of people's in that I never had a like a quote unquote nine to five job. Not that teaching is a nine to five job. I think it's more like a nine to midnight job. <laughs> it's a lot, uh, but I'll call it a nine to five job for now. You get what I mean? Like a job where you have to be somewhere, you know, five days a week for eight hours at least and uh, on a regular schedule. I had never had that kind of job before I became a teacher. And I think a lot of people get jobs like that right out of college, right? They go to school to become a teacher. And then they, like, as soon as they're out of college, they get a job as a teacher. And that's what they do for however long. Or, I mean, it doesn't have to just be a teacher. A lot of jobs are like that. You go to college for it and then you get out of college and that's what you do. That was not me. I did not go to college to be a teacher. And uh, I, I, I had a lot of strange jobs <laughs> before I became a teacher. You know, as an artist, I always wanted flexibility in my work so that I could have the flexibility to play shows or go on tour or do the things I needed to do. And so I had a lot of weird jobs, but really interesting and cool jobs. I think like when I first moved to LA, gosh, I don't even know how young people 
make it there now only because it, the rent is so expensive. Like when I moved there, I think my rent was $800 a month. And that was a lot for me to come up with at the time. And now the base rent is something like two grand a month or something. It's crazy. Uh, props to all the young artists who are out there making it in LA because it seems like that that financial um, situation is <laughs> would be hard to deal with. But anyway, I moved out there and I I had been a bus girl. That was my first job, if you don't count being the little girl who hands out Chick-fil-A in the mall <laughs> when I was 15. But uh, then I became a bus girl and I worked my way up to becoming a server in college at this same restaurant. And so when I moved to LA after college, I thought, oh, okay, well, I will, I'll go and I'll apply to work in a restaurant. That's what I know. And it's flexible and everything. And so I pounded the pavement, man, for like three months, five days a week. I was out there hitting the streets of LA with my resumes, you know, walking into restaurants, handing out my resume, trying to get to know people saying, hey, I'm here. I'd love to come work here. And it was like doors slamming in my face. <laughs> no one was interested. Right. And I I, I actually laugh because I think I got an acting job in LA before I got a, a job in a restaurant. <laughs> it was harder to get a job in a restaurant. But anyway. Uh, so the one job my college degree ever got me, true story, was I walked into this restaurant. It's a really nice, you know, it's a fine dining restaurant in Los Angeles where a lot of celebrities uh, go to eat. And I walked in there, handed my resume, and I got a call back and I eventually got hired. And I think the reason why was because the GM of that restaurant had gone to a Seven Sisters college like, like I had. So she recognized a fellow women's college graduate and she wanted to give me a shot. So that is the only job my Seven Sisters degree ever got me. <laughs> True story. So anyway, I went to work there and I didn't initially get hired as a waitress. I had to work my way up as you do. So I started off as a hostess. And I think as a hostess, I was making like $13 an hour or something, which wasn't bad at the time, but it was definitely not enough to pay my $800 a month rent. So I had to have a lot of other weird, you know, side jobs too. And so one of my side jobs was I became a clown for kids parties. And initially it sounded like a pretty awesome job. You get to hang out with kids, you get to do magic and make balloon animals and the pay, the hourly pay was great. But the thing that the hourly pay did not take into account was LA traffic. Because if you've lived in LA, you know, it takes about an hour each way to go someplace and then get back from that place. So actually, the hourly pay ended up not being that great if you factored in the time to get ready because you had to wear like make, you know, crazy either if you were sometimes you played Disney characters, other times you played clowns, whatever you played, you had to like, get into costume, get the makeup going, and then the time to drive there and then the time for the party and then the drive back It ended up being terrible hourly pay. So that was one of my weird jobs. Eventually, then I worked in uh, marketing. I drove up and down the West Coast handing out flyers for a company. I helped launch one of the most popular energy drinks on the market today. And so I did that. I, I had all sorts of weird jobs. I was in a punk rock band. We made some money at that, licensing music to film and television. And when that band blew up, that was that was a big part of my my life at that time. And so when that band blew up, as all bands, as most bands do in rare fashion, I don't mean that we literally blew up, but we we had a, some sturm and drang, as it were. We had some drama and we ended up breaking up. And so that was over. So there was no way to make money doing that. 
And so I came back and uh, began working in bars. And that was, you know, it was kind of fun, although I have to say it came with some of the drawbacks that you would imagine of late hours, working around people who are inebriated, you know, but it, but there was a lot of fun to it, too. And especially being in rock and roll, it was fun to kind of be paid to be at the party, at the rock and roll party, right? <laughs> so I I did that and I ended up ma- working my way up in this company and becoming the GM of, I actually opened one of their most popular bars. And so at that point, you know, I was run. I had a staff, it's a multi-million dollar operation. I had, I had real responsibility. I was running a real multi-million dollar business but it still afforded me a lot of flexibility because I could, you know, choose a lot of times when I worked or just I could do things at different times. It wasn't so rigid. It wasn't like you have to be here from these hours to these hours. I had a lot, I had a lot of flexibility and I had a great staff who worked under me who I could trust to do what a lot of what needed to be done if I wasn't there. So in that regard, while it was a high intensity, high responsibility job, it still afforded me a lot of flexibility that I'd always had in my work life. I never had a sort of a more rigid schedule ever in my, in my work life. Now, eventually <laughs> that, that job became untenable for a myriad of reasons. And I ended up uh, leaving that job and. From there, my husband and I, we did a lot of things. We owned a nightclub. We, we <laughs> had a lot of interesting experience. Another really amazing managerial experience, but also one with flexibility. When you're the owner of the nightclub, you can kind of make your schedule, right? And then we ended up uh, moving to the desert. Now we have a multi-six-figure vacation rental business which is, again, a very flexible thing. So all this is to say, the setup is basically that I came to education a lot differently, I think, than a lot of other people do. And I had known a work life that was totally different than the sort of rigid schedule of being a teacher, right? I had known total flexibility in my life. And so I think that's why, for me, it wasn't so hard to leave. I think a lot of times if you have been in a certain kind of job or used to a certain kind of work schedule for a long time, it can be more challenging because you don't know anything else, right? And so it can be a little more scary. But for me, it was less scary because I I had had so many different flexible work experience in the past and knew that you could have a great job and also have it be flexible. <laughs> so anyway, I get to this certain age and I start having this, um, I don't know if you want to call it an existential crisis, but it was just a moment where I was started feeling like, well, maybe I should get a quote unquote real job. Maybe I should get like a job that has, I don't know, benefits and uh, a retirement. And I certainly had, you know, my dad's voice in my head with all that, with the pension and this and that, because my dad worked for the same company for 30 something years and like has his pension. And he's very much into that security work situation. All the but what's funny is people don't realize when you're an entrepreneur you can have the same security. In fact, a lot of times I think it's more secure. You can you can have your own retirement and be in charge of where the money goes, right? When you have a pension, other people are investing that stuff. Other people money gets taken out of your check and you don't you don't get to see where it goes. Whereas when you are an entrepreneur and you're running your own retirement, you can invest in exactly what you want to invest in. So I think that there's this fallacy out there that being an entrepreneur means that 
you're not going to have security in old age or something. And sure, that's true if you blow all your money and don't plan. But if you plan, you can still invest money and still create a wonderful retirement for yourself. Okay, so I get to this point where I'm feeling like maybe I should try to have like a real, quote unquote, real job. Okay, all my other jobs have been very real. Like I said, I was running multi-million dollar companies. I have a multi-six figure business. But I, for some reason, equated like, quote unquote, real job with like a government job or something. So, and I love, I love kids. I love teaching. And so I thought, okay, this will be, let's do this. So I go back to school to become a teacher and I get a teaching job. And it's funny because as teachers, people really find their groove, right? Like some people are kindergarten teachers, hashtag not one of them. (laughs) Other people are junior high teachers. Other people are high school teachers, right? I substitute taught for a kindergarten class one time and it was, it was very stressful. I immediately was like, Oh no, five, like kindergarten is not for me. Me and 35 year olds in a room all day. Oh my God. No, it was really stressful for me. Whereas other people just love that age. They love that little kindergarten age. For me, what became clear was junior high also wasn't necessarily my age. Like junior high, I remember being in junior high as a kid and being like, this is the worst time ever. And then <laughs> it turns out that being an adult in junior high is also the worst time ever. I don't know. I'm making a joke, but it's a very challenging time, I think, in everyone's life. And uh, junior high just wasn't that wasn't my age either. But high school, especially that like ninth grade, 14 to 15 year old age, I love that age so much. I With my own stepkids, I loved that age. Like oh, so many parents complain about having teenagers, not me. I was like, this is awesome. They're so fun. They're becoming who they're going to be. It's so fun to watch them blossom and bloom into who they're going to end up being. They are, you know, you can hang out with them. They have senses of humor. You can joke with them. You can do fun stuff. Like I love that age so much with my own stepkids. And I loved it in education when I was teaching. Like that ninth grade age is just such a fun, fun age. I just vibe with that age of kids so much. And so it became really clear, like, okay, this is my age. And so I became, I got really, I actually loved teaching that age. I loved it. And it's interesting because when you uh, become a teacher, the first year of teaching is just hell. That's just (laughs) how it is. And everyone's like, don't quit after that first year. And so I would say, if you are a teacher and you're in your first year of teaching and you feel like it's hell, hold on. Because if this is your calling, if you feel really called to be a teacher, it gets so much better after that first year. Once you find your quote unquote teacher voice, (laughs) you know, and get your classroom management down, it gets so much better. So if you feel like you were called to be a teacher and then you're in your first year and you're feeling like, oh shit, this is not what I signed up for. Don't worry. I promise you like it, it gets better after that first year. However, if you get into your first year and it's not, you're feeling like this is not my calling. And then it, you're still kind of like, feeling like, I don't know if this is for me. Listen to that voice. It became apparent to me pretty quickly that 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 job wasn't going to be something I could sustain. It was unsustainable for a number of reasons for me. And it had nothing to do with the kids or anything like that. I, I loved teaching kids. I loved my coworkers. I loved a lot about that job. But there was a lot that I found really challenging. For instance, that schedule of having to be somewhere five days a week from this time to this time. And you can't really take days off. You can, but little people, (laughs) I consider teenagers still little people, you know, kids, they need you. 
And if you take time off, it it's hard for them. And so it becomes hard to take time off. And it becomes hard to take time off even when you get home because you've got so much stuff to catch up on, especially as an English teacher. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> props to all, all teachers, but English teachers and grading papers, so much props to you because it takes a lot of time. And you care about your kids. You know, you're always thinking about them. So there really is no time off. It definitely is a calling. And as you teach longer, more will be asked of you. You'll be asked to serve in more ways to the point where it really ha- it has to be your calling to keep going because it just it's going to overtake your whole life. <laughs> That's how it started to feel to me and I was like, "Oh no, I can't. I can't have that." And I was feeling called to teach in different stuff. Like I love teaching. I love English. I love storytelling. I love grammar, but I was feeling called to teach other stuff. And I did try to, I did try to teach it. Like I'd have meditation Mondays and stuff in my junior high. When I was teaching junior high, I had like, I tried to incorporate all of my spiritual mindset type of tools, but there's only so much you can do within the framework of the public education system. And that goes, that's a, That's a lot of it for me is the system. There's, uh, how do I want to say it? There's only so much you can do. Let me put it like that. And that became frustrating for me. So I decided I wanted to, I wanted to teach people how to create their best lives, how to manifest their dreams. I wanted to do work that felt fulfilling, where I felt like I could make a greater impact, where I felt like I could also have the time and location and schedule freedom that I had had before that is really kind of necessary for me to thrive because I am a person who needs that flexibility for a lot of reasons. But uh, yeah, the, the, the confines of a schedule where you have to work, quote, you know, nine to five, we'll say, five days a week, and then you get two days off. And it just it doesn't work for me. It makes me feel like I'm in a in a prison kind of like I need to be in charge of my own life. And when you have a job where you have a set schedule, and you have to be there five days a week, you're not in charge of your own life. And it's so funny, because so many people be like, Yeah, but you get holidays off, you get all the holidays off. That that is not a, I don't know, I get any day I want off now. <laughs> I work for myself. And I have time and location freedom and I do work that fulfills me and lights me up and makes me feel joy and, and lets me know that I'm really helping people. So I I don't buy the argument. I don't buy the argument that, oh, you get holiday, holidays off. And I don't buy the argument that, oh, you get a pension. <laughs> that wasn't enough to make me stay. Let's put it like that. So I began realizing, oh, this teaching is not for me for most, a lot of the reason was the inflexibility, to be quite honest, and, and what's required of you, like the sacrifices you have to make. And I can't give enough props to teachers because essentially you sacrifice so much for that job. And there's also, you're working within a system that is not always easy to work within. I'm not going to go off on that, but there's a lot I could say about that. So became apparent this wasn't for me. What am I going to do? So I start thinking about things I'd like to do. And you all know my conversion story of with Abraham on the cruise ship and manifestation and learning that you could be in charge of and create your own life. And I really felt passionately called to teach other people that. Now, I had been teaching other people that, people I knew, 
but in a bigger way, right? I wanted to show up as a teacher of that. And I wanted to help people, especially women, take back control of their lives and live the lives that they dreamed of as children, right? Like there's so many dreams that have that we have given up on and we don't have to give up on those dreams. I wanted to teach people how to live their most fulfilled, most authentic lives. It's really important to me. And the more I began thinking about that, the more I really started thinking, feeling actually that that was my calling. I was put here to be a teacher, a facilitator of people realizing their potential. And I really wanted to help other people do that. And so I started going, well, how am I going to do this? (laughs) And so I decided that I needed training because while I had a lot of tools, I felt like I needed more tools and how to actually coach people to get incredible transformational results. And so I enrolled in a coaching program, which taught me a lot of amazing tools And then I also became a Reiki, first of all, a Reiki healer, and then later a Reiki master. I got certified in, even though I've been meditating since 1998, I guess, and I've done a number of meditation programs, I got certified as a meditation facilitator, uh, certified as a breathwork facilitator, and in my, eventually became a trainer of neuro-linguistic programming, hypnotherapy, EFT, life and success coaching, time techniques. Like I, I got all these modalities. So I have so many different tools in my tool belt to help people with mindset, with the body somatic issues, and with spiritual issues. And I really think that no matter what kind of coach you want to be, I don't care if you're coaching people on how to write a book or how to change their lives. I do think you need tools for the body, the mind, and the spirit. I do think it's important because a lot of times our mind is not where the issue is. A lot of times the issues that are keeping us stuck and blocked live in our bodies or are of a spiritual nature. And so it's really important to have that full, well-rounded, holistic toolbox. So I got all the tools. I was like, yes, I got all the tools. And the coaching certification I had initially enrolled in They had like a course or something on how to get clients or how to build a business, but I'm not a person who, that was not particularly helpful for me. Let me put it like that. I'm a person who needs to walk through the process with someone. And what I found in this industry is there's a lot of programs that will teach you the tools, or there's a lot of programs that will teach you business stuff, but there's not a lot of programs that will actually give you, certify you in the tools and then walk you through launching your business. And a lot of people get stuck there in the launching phase and they never launch, which I think is unfortunate because the world, if you feel called to be a coach or a healer, the world needs you. There's someone out there who needs to hear your message the way only you can deliver it. They're waiting for you. And so I feel it, it's... It's unfortunate that a lot of people get stuck and don't know how to launch their business. So anyway, I was at that point and I was like, what the heck am I going to do? So I found someone who had a business like what I wanted to create, my incredible mentor, Natalia Benson, and I hired her to be my mentor and so that I could learn from her. So I could learn how you build a business the way I wanted to build a business. Because there's also a lot of places out there that will teach you this very masculine 
way of building a business that just doesn't feel good to me. They'll use words like close, close, close that sales call or whatever. And that just feels icky to me. That's not how I wanted to have a business. I wanted to have a business that felt like an invitation that had a very feminine flow to it. And I feel like Natalia is a great example of that. So I hired Natalia to be my mentor to teach me how to build a business like hers, really. And not that anyone can build a business like hers, but you know what I mean? She she was the one who really taught me about how to do business in a way that felt aligned for me. So then I had the tools, I had the mentorship, and then it was really just about putting myself out there. And that is the thing that I think hangs a lot of new coaches, new healers up is putting yourself out there, but you've got to do it. It's uncomfortable. <laughs> it's really scary. Anytime you want to level up, though, what is going to be required of you is going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be scary and you just have to do it anyway. And I think that a very powerful thing to remember in this time is remembering why you're doing this, why it's so important that you put yourself out there. Because if you don't, what's going to happen to that person who's waiting for you to show up, who's waiting for your message, who's waiting for you to help them? What's going to happen to them in three to five years if they never hear you, never find you, right? And if you can make it about them and less about you, then suddenly imposter syndrome, suddenly fear of showing up kind of goes away. And so I started putting myself out there, started getting clients, started having my offers and really figuring out what it was I wanted to help people or with, how I wanted to teach people. And I think that's another thing that gets a lot of new entrepreneurs hung up is they feel like they have to have it all figured out at the beginning. Like, Hashtag perfectionist, raise your hand. I know I have been a perfectionist for most of my life and you don't have to have it all figured out. But what you do have to do is you do have to take messy action and get started. You have to start and you figure it out as you go and you grow and change as you go, as you you evolve. And that's a very natural thing. And you have to allow yourself the, the grace to figure it out as you go. Kathy Heller, I love her. She always says, like, give yourself permission to be a C student. Absolutely. It doesn't have to be perfect. You just have to start. And I gave myself permission to do that, which wasn't easy because I've definitely been a perfectionist for most of my life. But I definitely felt that pull and that call and that mission that I had to, I had to, I had to get started because I knew there were people out there who were like me in the past when I had been stuck and when I had been hopeless and all that. And I knew I had to help. I knew I had to get out there and start talking because I knew people were out there just like I had been waiting, looking for a light, looking for some way out, right? And so I got started building my business, getting clients, and it just got to a point where I had built my bridge, as it were, so well that it became time to leave my job. And that's what I advise all of my clients to do is I know a lot of people just want to up and quit their jobs and then like focus on their business. But I think that can be, you know, if that works for you, great. But I feel like that can be a little scary for some people because there's a lot of financial insecurity in that option. Whereas if you build your business and you get it to a point where it's like it's the baby's all grown up and it needs you, you know, you got to it just becomes apparent that you're making enough money at it that you can quit your job and that there's so much going on now in your business that you really need to quit your job in order to get to the next level. So I advise building the bridge out of your current job, out of your current nine to five and into your business. And that bridge can take a while to build, right? It can take the better part of a year. And you just have to 
be patient and keep taking inspired action every day. And eventually it just gets to a point where it's time to leave your job. And that's what happened to me. I had built my bridge and eventually just got to a point where my business was making enough money, where I was basically having so much to do in my business that it was my other job (laughs) was becoming uh, like, I don't want to say it was just becoming too much, right? So I had to quit my job. And that's how I did it. So I guess the steps would be get certified, get training in transformational tools that you know you can get your clients results 100% of the time. Find a mentor, hire someone who has a business like what you want to have and have them show you how to do it. And then number three is build your bridge. So start building your business and build it to the point where it just becomes a point where you have to leave your other job and, and where your business is doing so well. And I got to say, I'm. I'm really grateful. I'm really grateful to that that version of me who recognized my truth and recognized what I needed for my life and what worked for me and what didn't work for me and who recognized that I needed to find a different path and who took the action to make that other path happen because it is it is scary at first. And so if you're out there and you're interested in becoming a coach or a healer but you're like I don't know how I do it. I have all these responsibilities and my job currently is like a, my safety and I get that. I 100% get that. And I'm here for you. I'm have this four day challenge coming up at the end of May. Join me in the challenge. I'll show you how it's possible to build your profitable heart centered coaching and healing business and how it's possible to really make this dream become a reality because it is 100% possible for you. I don't care who you are. I don't care what obligations you have. It is 100% possible for you. And so join me in this challenge. It's bit.ly forward slash heart centered coach challenge. And I want to, I want to just address one other thing. A lot of people think that entrepreneurship is risky in some way. And I'm not saying that it's not risky, but I think the rewards far outweigh the risks in a lot of ways. You know, we've all seen teachers even get laid off when there's a too many teachers or any job get laid off P- companies lay their workers off all the time and then the workers are like what the heck i just invested all these years into this company and now i have no job so i don't think that taking a traditional route is safer i really honestly believe that it's safer to build your own empire to build your own business no one can fire you from your business right Unless you're a public company, then I think they can. But uh, you, you know, to build your own empire and then you have, you're in charge of your stability. You're in charge. The sky is the limit as far as how much money you can make, how much security you can create for yourself and for your family. The only limit on how much money you can make on how much impact you can have is the amount of value you can give other people. When you come from a place of service, when you serve others, when you give tremendous value, that's it. That is the secret. That is the key to fulfillment, but also not just of your client's dreams, your dreams too. It's like a win-win situation. You both get to expand and transform and live the lives of your dreams through this sacred work. That's what I really believe. So if that's for you, if you want that, join me in this challenge. All right. I have had such a great time hanging out with you. And I want to say thank you for hanging out with me today because I know your time is the one thing that you can never get back. And so I just so appreciate you spending it with me. It really means a lot. I want you to have the most joyous, most fulfilled, most loving life 
possible. That's what I'm here for. All right. That's all I got for today. I'll see you next week. Until next time. Music.